I'm Victoria, and this podcast is all about running, marathon training, and run coaching. It is packed with useful tips to help you grow as a runner. I am a 13-time Boston qualifier and mom of two who started running as an adult. I learned a lot on my journey, and in 2014, I launched an online run coaching business to help other runners. Now, we employ several run coaches and are one of the largest online run coaching companies. We teach you the secrets to reaching your potential in the sport of running. We give real talk discussing personal stories of injuries, setbacks, and PRs. Think of this as a conversation with serial marathoners who share the lessons that we learned along the way. This is the Run for PRs podcast. Have you peaked with your running and what it takes to reach that next level? We all start out our running journey making huge strides in progress, week over week, month over month. It just comes easy. At first, it seems like we almost improve on the daily basis. Then over time, we might notice that it takes a few months or maybe a few years to see that same progress. Eventually, it becomes harder to improve while putting in the same workload. Many athletes will increase their workload, like their weekly mileage or how hard their workouts are, to continue to see results over time. However, there becomes that point of diminishing returns. You continue to put in more work, and eventually you will not continue to see more results. When looking at recreational versus professional athletes, we know that professional athletes are able to dedicate their entire lives to their training and to revolve all around their training and recovery. The more recreational runners can often be limited by real life stress. You can only improve as much as you can recover from. We wanted to chat today about the concept of peaking. Many athletes claim to peak after just a few years of running because things just become too hard. It's too hard to see any results. However, have they really reached their potential or did they simply burn out or become stagnant by doing the same training over and over again? Today, we are doing a deep dive into discovering what peaking really looks like and discuss ways for athletes to break through these plateaus. So we all kind of reach these running plateaus at some point if we run for long enough. I'm sure we all can, you know, resonate with that statement. If we've been running for, you know, a couple of years now, we all kind of get to those points of frustration in our running where we wonder, is this it? Is this it for me? Um, am I able to improve from there? And I've reached that point so many times throughout my my running journey where it's like you're running the same times over and over again. And it can just be super frustrating. And that lingering thought of what if this is it for me? What if this is as fast as I can become just kind of hangs over your head. And I feel like it can be almost crippling for people. I have with me today, Jason, um, who has been running for 20 years and has been coaching for 10 years. So he has seen a lot of athletes kind of reach their peak and, and kind of drop off in the sport and also have seen athletes who thought they reached their peak and continue to improve, um, on their own. Uh, but we wanted to just discuss this topic because I do think it's really interesting. Um, the concept of peaking and, you know, sometimes when people reach that point of, desperation. Like I, I can't improve. I I'm doing so much. And 
that that frustration can almost get them out of the sport because what really gets people hooked into running, I think, is that constant improvement, right? You see your times get better. That there's something like so satisfying about seeing like those numerical values just like go down and like seeing those numerical results and that when they stop happening, um, it can be really frustrating for people. Cause I think for, for most runners, it's like the one place in our life, maybe like after college where we're able to see, um, like progress, right. We're able to see measurable progress and we feel good about ourselves. Um, but when that starts to not be a thing anymore, it can be really frustrating for people. Um, so Jason, have you ever kind of hit a plateau where you thought it was kind of game over for you and uh what what did you um do that to like break through that uh plateau or what was the attitude adjustment you had to make um yeah you know kicking off this this topic here when i think of peaking i'm just thinking about like um you know reaching your potential in that in that kind of period um that you're that you're focused on for that targeted distance right so when we talk about a marathon, uh, for example, we just had our build up and whatnot and we peak. Um, a lot of times, you know, if we, if we hit our peak, we kind of ran to our potential on that day. Right. And then, um, we're not going to be able to do it again, probably in a month. Um, it's going to take longer time. So what we need to do is we need to, um, follow that peak with a period of rest and then a period of like changing something with our stimulus. So, um, you know, I've never really gotten to a point in really any distance where I felt like, oh my gosh, I peaked except for in college, my senior year was probably in the mile, um, indoors. That was probably the one time where I, I felt like I reached a peak, um, for where I was at right then and there. Um, I wasn't going to get much faster without changing something with my training, either, uh, adding more mileage or working really hard on like the mental side of things. Um, you know, so I, I basically tapped out at about a 414 mile after several races of running between 414 and 418. So I was always kind of right there. I think I ran pretty much every time in between there. Um, so, you know, you get to a point where you realize like, okay, this isn't going to get any faster, not without, um, not without more time passing and something drastically has to change. Um, and so, you know, the tough thing is, you know, time is really the, the, the variable here because we don't have so many opportunities to try to go back. And that was the thing is I was already a senior. I wasn't going to get another year to go back and train the same way and to be coached and all of that and have the facilities. Um, so I kind of knew that I had reached my full potential, um, or reached my peak in that, in that, um, distance for the, the time, you know, for that time in my life. So, um, and then kind of what I did was I just shifted my focus to longer distances because I knew at some point I wanted to run the marathon and that sort of thing. And I was fine with that. So I think, you know, when we think about peaking, it sometimes is reaching your potential in the current moment. Um, but it doesn't mean you're necessarily reaching like your full potential as an athlete in that, in that distance. I think there's two different kind of definitions there. Well, that's crazy. I've literally never thought about it like that before. Cause when we talk about peaking, like it's it, within a training cycle, it's always like a positive thing, right? Like, Oh, like I, I'm in my peak fitness. I'm peaking right now. Um, and that's like a good thing, right? Like you want to come to the end of your training cycle and have that peak where maybe, you know, for you, you were hitting like kind of the same mile times over and over again. And that was kind of like your peak for that season, but you didn't think that, you know, that was your peak forever, right? It was like your peak for that season and you just needed more time, like you said, right? So maybe, you know, after an off season and then another season, like you could have continued to see those incremental improvements. Um, but for like that season, that was kind of like your peak, right? 
Um, whereas every time I've kind of hit, you know, I don't know, like for me in college, like I was stuck at like 22 something for a 5k. And I literally thought like, because I had, that was like my peak for, you know, whatever season that was in, um, indoor track, I think, um, I kind of like peaked there. Like I ran the same time three times in a row and it was very consistently at the same thing. And no one ever said to me like, Hey, you're peaking, right? Like no one was like, that's good. Like you just reached your peak. You're super consistent. No one ever pointed that out. Like it was a good thing. Um, and I think the way that you just described it, it sounded like it's good, right? It's like you reach a peak and then, okay, you're super consistent. Now we're just going to do a little off season then you're going to go into your next training cycle and we're going to have to switch something. So maybe that meant for me, I was, I was frustrated, obviously, right? Like no one wants to run the same time so many times, um, especially when you peak and you don't reach the time that you wanted to run. I think that's where it gets frustrating. So for me, I wanted to, to break 22 and that's kind of like what my coach had said and it just wasn't happening. So that's where I started spinning my wheels and like questioning things. Right. Um, and I think a lot of athletes can get to that point where they're like, Oh, this isn't making sense. Like where I'm peaking at isn't where I want it to be. And so that's where the doubt starts to maybe creep in. Um, but like you were saying, no, it just takes time. And, and that's, uh, that's really, um, words of wisdom from a, from a coach, right? So do you ever see kids who uh, within a season like that, um, get stuck running similar times and they get that frustration because they want that result right now. And they don't see that, you know, there's future seasons and there's future times to improve. Um, so what do you do once you kind of hit that peak, but it's not where you wanted to be within that season? Yeah, it's a good question. I think, you know, when we talk about training blocks or cycles or seasons, we always want to think about just kind of slowly um, moving the peak, right? Like the peak we think about is the ultimate performance for that period that we're in. Um, so, you know, for me that, for me, that might've been actually, I probably did reach my peak that year. I wasn't going to get any faster. So 414, I was fine with that because I had improved quite a bit from the previous years and everything. And, um, I just wanted to run like a second or two faster because I just missed out on going to nationals. And so that was kind of the reason in my head, I, I knew I wanted to run a 412, but I just wasn't quite there. I ne- I would have needed a whole nother probably year to get there. And, um, you know, sometimes we, you know, the shorter the distance, I think it's harder. Like, you know, I say 418 to 414, that doesn't sound like much, but that that's actually quite a bit in a mile. So, you know, that'd be like probably 15 to 20 seconds in a 5k. So, you know, if you can take 20 seconds off of 5k, um, as you kind of get to your peak, I think that's, that's really good. And then, um, you, you know, if you reach kind of what we've thought is your potential for that, for that year, or for that phase of training, that's great. Then, um, after some, maybe a different off season or a different season of cross country or whatever, and then we come back, I think we want to start to continue to push the peak, uh, kind of what the top performance would be at for, for each athlete. And so that's kind of what I think about when I think about peaking, uh, it's kind of like the ultimate goal, I guess, um, for each, each season, each phase of life. Yeah. I find this topic so interesting. I just feel like I've never really verbalized my thoughts on it before. And so hearing you talk, I'm like, wow, this is really eye-opening for me um, with the whole peaking concept. So when you ran that 414 and, you know, you it wasn't what you really wanted as your time. You wanted the 412, but in your mind, you knew you were satisfied with it. And so I think that's the difference is 
some athletes, they, they don't reach that, that peak goal, but they're satisfied because they feel like they got everything out of themselves. They feel like the time reflected, you know, based on their workouts, they feel like on race day, it went well. They did the best they could. They feel like they can walk away with it okay because it's like close enough, whatever, um, whatever that is. And I've, I've definitely had race seasons like that as well. But whereas, you know, I was talking about the frustration that I was feeling from like the 22 minutes and, and not being able to hit the goal that the coach had set for me. I think in those situations where a lot of runners probably have had these times where, you know, you run a marathon time and it's just not what your workouts were indicating at all. Um, and you just are feeling like confused by it all or like where you're really conflicted, like where, you know, your workouts were indicating you were in better shape or, you know, the pacing just was off for the race, whatever it may be. When you cross a finish line um, and you're just not satisfied, I think that's where athletes can start having these feelings of self-doubt and of worrying like, I don't have the potential to actually execute the time on race day. And that's where people like to start using that clutch of like, I've peaked, this is this I guess is all I can do when in reality when you do cross the finish line and you had a race where the pacing was off or like you didn't run the time that your workouts indicated what that really means is that you have so much more potential right like you can reach that next level and so I think a lot of people will kind of shut the door to running after maybe they did a a, one or two training cycles where that was the outcome, right? Like if you had two marathon training cycles, um, for me, there was another training cycle. Obviously I broke 22 minutes on 5k, you know, now I'm like at 18, 30 something 5k, but you know, further down the road, I reached this point where I was trying to run faster than a 314 marathon and going out and, and having a great training cycle, then blowing up in the marathon. And I was consistently running like in the three twenties. And so There was a lot of confusion and a lot of frustration and then doubt because when you do more than one training cycle and you still aren't reaching what you thought you could, you start to like have these feelings of, well, maybe like that was it for me. Like maybe I'm never going to reach that. But really what it should do is reinforce the fact that, okay, there's just something going on here that that you need to change or you need to refocus on something else because you were that close before. And when you crossed that finish line, you knew that you had not peaked, right? Like you knew that there was more to give. And so you need to kind of get re-inspired to go after what that was. And I think so often we get caught up on those negatives and we just, we want to go into that desperation and despair kind of mindset Whereas, you know, you weren't satisfied then, you shouldn't be now. There are no excuses, right? And so it's just keeping that like hungry mindset and that mindset of, you know, there is room for improvement. So have you ever seen someone who reaches a point in their running of like that sheer frustration where it's like failure, failure, failure to hit their what they wanted to hit. And then they just kind of give up on the sport altogether. Or maybe people you ran with in college that just kind of stop running completely. Um, do you think that that's a result of just believing that they peaked and believing that there isn't any more to give? Yeah. I mean, gosh, I feel like I could talk so long about this. I, I think the reason people stop is because they, they allow whatever they, they make excuses, right. Or come up with the reasons why they didn't get the result that, or the outcome that they wanted. And so whatever those reasons are, 
sometimes they feel like it's so far out of control that they're not going to be able to be corrected. So I think that they sometimes just kind of fall off the wayside or take a break or whatever. And, you know, I'm probably guilty of doing that as well with, you know, with dealing with injuries or calf problems. I just think, well, it's going to take time and I'll come back to it later. So I think that, yeah, it's normal, I think, to kind of come in and out of those phases and where times of motivation are um, going to be there for you. I think I don't really enjoy the definition of the word peak. I just are using the word peak when we're talking about training. I think that, um, you know, what we know about the marathon is a lot of things need to go right on race day for the performance to, to, to have a good race. So, um, I'll give you like two examples. So think of a runner that's got like a 320 PR and their goal is to run sub three or whatever, or maybe they're like 318 and they want to run sub three so they can qualify for Boston. Um, and the training cycle goes well, they seem to improve, and they run like a 310. So maybe that they actually did reach their peak for that training cycle, um, and they're going to just need more time and more development to get to the next level. Um, and then there's the other person who maybe um, they ran like 320 years ago when their training was going really well, and their life stressors were different, and their work-life balance just looked a little bit different, right? And now they're really struggling to even break 330 and to get back to that 320 level. Um, and these are the people that I think sometimes they, they tell themselves like, oh, I, I peaked too soon. Um, I felt really good on my 20 miler back, you know, four weeks ago, but during the race, I just felt awful and I struggled to even run like a 332 or whatever. So I think that that's kind of, it's a mindset thing. I think, like you said, there's so many factors that go into the training and for the marathon, a lot of things have to be aligned properly, um, for the race to go well and, you know, there's weather, course elevation, hydration, nutrition, stress, all these other factors. And yeah, maybe to get back to that 320 level, you're going to need to change something um, about your training. Maybe you're going to need to increase mileage or, you know, do more um, uh, uh, strength training or more threshold work, that sort of thing. So I think it's just, um, I think it's a common excuse that people will throw out there. And we see it a lot. Like they think they peak too soon because they're, they're doing really well or their 10K or their half marathon goes really well in their training, but they get to the marathon and they don't reach their goal. And so that's the reason they give is they think they peak too soon where it's what we know about the marathon. It's just really tough, like to run your, your A goal performance. Um, sometimes you may, it may take like two, three, four tries to really nail the time that you want to get in that distance. Yeah, definitely. I I hate that, you know, excuse too. like, oh, I peaked too soon because it's like, you know, peaking too soon. When you start to say that, it kind of gives a negative connotation to peaking when in reality, like you want to peak. Peaking is good. You want to be in peak fitness. You want to be in peak shape. Right. So saying that you peak too soon. Is it possible that you peak too soon leading up to a marathon? Probably not. I would say what's more likely is that you left your race in a workout. Um, definitely been victim of that before. It, you, it's really easy when you're in really, really good shape to, you know, go into one of those long runs, one of those, you know, 20 milers or something and just be like, oh, you know, it says to do the last six at marathon pace, but I'm going to do last like 13 at marathon or just something dumb like that. Right. So, uh, you know, just pushing a, the envelope a little bit too much. And maybe it's not one specific workout. Maybe it's like a string of a couple of workouts or, you know, a week where you do a little bit more than you should. Um, I think if you're really being honest with yourself and you, and you reflect back on what was I doing, you know, the last couple of weeks before I felt like, you know, the wheels fell off, you'd be able to see a pattern, right. And see what you kind of did wrong. So I think more often, like you're saying, it's more of a training error than it was you peaking too soon. It was like, you were in great shape. You were, you, you were right on track. And then 
you know, maybe you pushed it too hard too soon. And so that's not peaking too soon. That's like you kind of messed up your cycle, right? Like you, you, you took it downhill too fast because you started racing workouts. You started running too many miles, those sort of things. And then obviously, like you said, on race day, maybe, you know, weather was off. Maybe you were getting sick. Maybe it was just like a really bad day for you. Um, everyone has bad races. Uh, sometimes you just don't run to your potential. And that doesn't mean that like you peaked during, you know, your 20 mile training run that you did that went better than the marathon. Maybe it just means like you had an off race day. Right. And so those are really hard. And I think the marathon distance is even harder because it's, it's something you can't really like go and re- repeat it, right? Like you can't go and do another marathon the next weekend or two weekends later because um, it takes just so so long to recover from and um, just the recovery in and of itself and the tapering, all those things. You lose fitness doing those things. So it wouldn't even make sense to like three months later do another marathon um, just because your body's all out of whack and those things. But yeah, I think this is a really good topic when it comes to peaking. And I know a lot of people like to use it as an excuse, right? They like to say, oh, this is as fast as I can become. Um, I'm not able to, you know, get any faster than this, which is a really interesting topic because I think most people probably give up before they actually do reach their potential as an athlete, as a runner, um, just because there's so many other things that are going on in our life that in order to really, you know, kick it to that next level, it just takes so much consistency and so much time, like you were saying, that sometimes, yeah, I think, you know, your willingness to put in the work and be consistent like that versus, uh, you know, your, your willingness, wanting to do something else, right? It just is more of a trade-off of values. So do you think that that's typically the case for most people? And where do you find that that typically ends up? Yeah, I think, um, you know, the majority of us can continue to train and improve um, in pretty much in most distances across the board, as long as we're willing to put in the time and the effort. And yeah, we need factors to go our way. Like we need to be able to stay healthy and, you know, manage our day-to-day things so that we're motivated to train. But it all comes down to like, what are your priorities? Um, Do you want to get to that next level? And um, I think it's, yeah, it's going to be different for everyone. And um, I think that just because a certain phase of your life gets difficult doesn't mean you can't go back and, um, yeah, that's, that's what I'd say about that. Yeah. And I think it's really important to understand like the desire has to be there. Right. So for a lot of years I was really into the marathon, you know, I kind of explained how I had ran the 314. Um, and then, you know, I just had so many subsequent marathons after that, that were just not great. Right. So it was like in the three twenties, I was, I was really kind of stuck. I was, you know, kind of regress regressing. And for a little bit of background for maybe people don't know, like my first marathon was 409. And then it was like, I spent a lot of time in the three forties. Then I ran the 327 and 319. And then it was 314. So it's like, I had this progress progression of taking significant time off, um, over the course of several years and several training cycles from a 409 to a 314. And so, you know, you see that and you're like, wow, it's pretty steady progression. You know, towards the end, I was only taking off maybe five, four minutes every uh, marathon, but I was still improving. Right. And so then when I crossed the line of the 314, I was like, yeah, I think I can definitely run a sub 310. Like I, I knew that when I crossed the finish line, it wasn't like one of those races where, oh, this is it for me. Like I, I've, this is my peak. Like I've never, I'm never going to run faster than this. Like, no, I, I totally knew that if like pacing went better, if weather was better, um, I knew 1000% I could run faster. Right. 
So then I go to my next training cycles and then it was like the subsequent five marathons were all within eight minutes slower than that. So it was really frustrating. It's like you start spinning your wheels um, and it was really easy to want to say, hey, like, you know, I peaked, whatever, but I know that's not the truth. Um, And then I did go back to the marathon and end up running like a 313. Um, But what I discovered in all of this, right? So like when I was actually running the 313 and training for it towards the end, is that I didn't really want it anymore, right? So it was kind of like I wanted to prove that I could do it, but at the same time, like my heart wasn't really in it. So it kind of got weird, right? Like I was, I was training for something, but I didn't really want to be doing it. And so I think that that is where a lot of people kind of reach this crossroads where they're like, they have to be honest with themselves. Like, is this really something that you still want? So, you know, I was just doing it because I, I wanted to prove it to myself because it was like, all I knew, right? It was such a routine and it was like four years later and I finally was able to, you know, run 30 seconds faster or whatever it was. But that's really like all the the desire and motivation I had. I just wanted to just sneak under, just squeak by. And so I think that was a limiting factor for sure. It's not wanting it as bad as you used to or just the fire isn't there. And so I think it's really important to not train for a race unless you really want to do it, right? So just because the marathon's super popular right now, or maybe you feel like the 5K is super popular right now, whatever, um, don't do it unless you want to do it, right? Like the desire for you, you have to see the vision. You have to like want it. Otherwise, it's going to be way harder for you to reach your potential um, in the race. And I even think that's true when it comes to like Boston qualifying, I think it's a great goal to say. It sounds cool out loud. Um, and even for a long time, I, I used to tell people, yeah, I'm going to lose a BQ, best qualify, whatever. Um, but I, it didn't take it seriously at all. Like, I just like to say it. It was something that sounded good. <laughs> I don't know, but I didn't, I didn't want to take the training seriously. Um, I didn't want to really put in the work. And then it's like all of a sudden when you do want it, you're like, oh, this is so different, so much easier when you just like are really in the zone and want something um, versus just like feeling like you need to say certain things or feeling like you need to like fulfill certain like check boxes. Um, Don't be you don't have to feel like as phony. Right. So have you ever had. Um, an experience where you felt like you had to like check a box and you were like going through the motions and you felt like almost like a phony, not like a phony, but you felt like not inspired to train versus a time in your life where you were lit up on fire, like, oh yeah, this is exactly what I want to be doing with my training. Um, do you think that that is a limiting factor? Yeah, I think where your head is at, um, mentally plays a huge role in really in not only your day-to-day training, but just, um, you know, your confidence, your mental desire, all of that. And that'll, that'll kind of translate into, um, you know, better races for you. But, um, you know, the thing to keep in mind here is, especially with the marathon distance, a lot of times our progression isn't always going to be linear. I know you mentioned the, the progression over the course of like five or six years for you and how you came down, but you didn't always PR like there was races where you have slower times. And I did the same thing where I, you know, my second marathon ever was still my fastest marathon to date. Um, and I, I ran, I think 10 marathons. So, um, when I actually qualified for Boston, it was not my fastest marathon. I, I just kind of ran one, I think in Vegas, I, 
and I didn't take it as seriously and I thought I could do it just because I had done it before and really it ended up being really harder because I I just wasn't mentally invested in the training and mm. I barely squeaked under the 305 at the time to get it. Um, I kind of lucked out getting into Boston that year, but that was kind of a wake-up call that, you know, the marathon doesn't owe you anything and just because you've reached a certain level at some point, that does not mean you're, um, you know, you're, you have an automatic um, – <laughs> pass to come back around that same time like you're gonna have to put in the work it does get harder with I think it can get harder with age if you have other things in your life going on that are going to um, you know trump the prioritization of your running and your recovery and all of that but I also think that people into their late 30s and 40s sometimes you're seeing them run the race times of their lives like you know Ed Norstrom for example I think ran a PR in his 40s and I think it's just a matter of like um, where you're at with your headspace. Like, do you really want it? Um, are you invested in it? And then you put in some consistency and some time. Um, and yeah, those, those unfortunate races or those bad, uh, training cycles, I think that you can, you can build on those and it's better than not doing run. It's better than just taking a bunch of time off and then going back. I think it's better to experience those, those, um, you know, shortfalls and, um, just continue to build. And then, um, when you're in the right headspace mentally, I think that's when you start to get to the next level. Yeah, really interesting hearing you talk about the marathon because I do think, you know, the biggest difference between, you know, I knew you when you ran that second marathon versus every other marathon you've done. Um, I think like the level of confidence and like just like maybe you were just really inspired going into that that second marathon. You just really wanted it. And that is like it's something that's hard to measure, but it's easy to see in certain athletes. Right. So. I don't think I've ever seen you go to another marathon where there wasn't like some level of doubt or like some like, oh, like I don't want to do this. You know what I mean? Like you were very like excited about Chicago, that second marathon. You you knew your time goal. You were very confident. Whereas maybe the other marathons you were just like, oh, like it, it, you almost were dreading it. And I know there have been times where like we go to travel to races, right? So like Las Vegas is more of like, oh, like it'll be fun. Like we can do this marathon and maybe run like an okay time. But um, it was more for like the travel aspect or like mm-hmm. just to like do another marathon, experience yeah. something, whatever. Um, and so if that's your motivation, like <laughs> it's not really, you're not like, it's not going to be your best performance most likely. Um, so I think there was a lot of like maybe dread, you know, at the, at the start line, like, oh, this is going to really hurt. Um, even though we did train, it's not like we didn't train for it. It's just, you have a different attitude going into it. Whereas, you know, you mentioned people like Ed, um, didn't start running until he was about 40 and now he's. 50 he's gonna be 50 um for yeah he he got down to um 245 and what's interesting about ed is that you know we knew him when he was like a 258 guy like two just under three and we talked to him all the time and he was like so confident and he would like tell us like i'm gonna run 240 sub 240 like that's my goal um and you would like see it in his eyes almost like he had this vision that he was like driven by and we're like whoa like yeah that would be really fast like you have to take like 20 minutes off your time right but he slowly chipped away at it because he had this thing like pulling him like he had some sort of vision that he saw for himself and he was just really really driven by it and he was doing what he wanted to do he didn't really care you know what other people thought um there was not a lot of doubt in his mind ever and so I saw that you know in him and I think that's really how you get down to like a 245 when you're almost 50 after you know never running before in your life um then there's other people like Megan where like I interviewed her in 2018 to coach here and, and she she had tried to qualify for the Olympic trials over 10 times like 10 times never did it right just 
failed attempts most of the time, um, falling short. But she told me straight up in the interview, like, oh, no, I'm going to do it. Like, it's going to happen this year, next year. Um, it's just it's just going to be one more time. Like, I know, like, I've never reached my potential. And I was like, okay, you know, like, <laughs> you know, I believe you. But the way she said it and the how she spoke about it, it was like she knew it before everyone else. And, and she did end up qualifying, or she, she ran 244, qualified for the Olympic trials within, you know, nine months of that interview. So I do think it's a little interesting just interacting with so many runners and hearing the people who are like super confident and know that like they see this vision for themselves and they they totally know it's possible and they don't see any limiting factor in their way are typically the people that like really do reach. I mean, sure, Ed didn't run 240, but he ran 245. I mean, that's so like he took so much time. I've got so much closer than you know, and there were other people like uh, Patrick Cutter, I feel like. That was another person. Like, we knew him back when he ran, like, two, I don't know, two, 246, 248. And now he's, like, down to, like, 234. And we just, like, couldn't believe. We're like, wow. Like, I, I just – but the way he talked about the goal, he was like, nothing was going to stop him, right? Like, he saw the vision. And so I think it's just really important to – be pulled by the vision that you see for yourself and don't necessarily feel like you just have to do what everyone else is doing. So those are maybe like three people out of, you know, however many I've interacted with where they saw this vision for themselves and they let it pull them. Whereas I think what's more common is people see what other people are doing. So maybe you see what Ed's doing and you're just like, man, like that's really inspiring. I want to copy that somehow what should I do? Maybe like I should just copy their goals. And that's where it gets, it gets tricky. Cause it's like, you can't just copy someone else's goal. You have to figure out what sets you on fire as an individual. And maybe that's not the marathon. Maybe it's the 5k. Maybe it's the one mile. Maybe you really like obstacle course races. And I think when we get limited and we limit ourselves to having to run the same race distance over and over again, um, we can kind of get almost set up for that failure because you're just doing like so much exhaustion and you know going back to my original example and I was stuck at that 22 minute 5k mark um in my mind I just had this vision of what a distance runner was right um at the time in college I was like they have to run 5ks like they, they have to do the long distance stuff I'm not a miler I don't run short distance I want to get better at long distance and so I was really kind of stubborn um, and you know, I was stuck running those, those 22 minute 5k times. And then I finally just reached this point of frustration and I was like, no, I'm not doing this anymore. I want to, I need to try something else. Um, and I just thought, what, what is setting me on fire? Like what would excite me? And I thought, you know, I think I could run a mile pretty fast. Like maybe I'd be good at that. And just trying something new that was like calling my name, um, even though it was outside of my comfort zone, that was the way that I was able to kind of break out of running those same times over and over again. And I think, you know, all it took was two months of training for the 1500 outdoor. And then later that summer, I ran a 20 minute 5k. So like literally took two minutes off a 5k time from shifting focus from something I didn't want to be doing and something I was dreading to something that was really exciting for me. And so I think sometimes when you have that change of perspective and you're able to break out of that like hamster wheel of doing the same thing over and over and over and over again, you're able to kind of get that new, I don't know, like you're refreshed, right? Mm -hmm. Like you try something new and it, and it helps you. 
Um, So do you ever think that people get stuck on that marathon hamster wheel of, you know, hoping that they run a certain time over and over again and get kind of trapped in that? Or do you think it's just common throughout every distance? Um, yeah, I think it's, it's obviously more common and more detrimental, I think to the marathoners just because you don't get as many opportunities. Um, and you're committing to a much longer training buildup for that race. Um, I think a lot of people will struggle with taking time off, especially if they have these, these goals of running, you know, X number of marathons or 50 States or running a BQ in two years or whatever it is. And so they think they need to run more marathons to kind of continue that linear progression, whereas sometimes you don't need as many. Like we have some athletes who I know have these huge PRs just because they're not, they're not running a ton of marathons. And so when they take a step away and they focus on improving their 10K time and their half marathon and their 5K time, and then um, they've had a long time to develop that mental training and just kind of reignite that internal drive for that marathon goal. And then they go back, they end up crushing it. And so sometimes sometimes there's, you know, there's more than one right way to go about doing things, but kind of know yourself and what's maybe worked well for you in the past when you've gotten those times and what, what sort of, um, what was the reason for that fire being ignited for you at that time? Because yeah, I think the number one key here is just the internal motivation factor. Um, that seems to be the, the number one thing that's connected to your, um, your vision and what you actually think you're capable of achieving. And then, um, your mental drive for getting you there. Right. Yeah. So I definitely think the mental component is huge, right? You've got to see the vision for yourself. You got to do distances that excite you. Um, but I think there also becomes like, you know, physiological, uh, things that hold you back. Right. So maybe more to like you with the four fourteen mile, um, just kind of thinking about, you know, the work you'd have to put in right now, physiologically, I'm sure your body had the ability to run faster. Maybe, maybe still does. Right. But we have to think about what that would look like. Right. So it's almost like funny to think about what that would look like if you really want to do that. And I'm sure you can use your imagination. Um, how much work would it put in and would you have to like compromise when it comes to like your work, family life, if you wanted to right now at, you know, the age of 34, try to go back and like, reach a 414 or faster in the mile? (laughs) I think over the years, my body has um, not become weaker. Well, weaker in a sense where like, I I can't just go out and hammer the same workouts. I think part of it over time was you got to think about high school, college, like year after year, you're doing these like these speed endurance type workouts, right? And you're just like kind of building on them. And, um, you're allowing your body is, is younger, which is, is easier to recover. I think in between those, so you can handle doing more right now. I would have to start really slow with like, uh, the workout volume and intensity to make sure I'm, I'm adapting and I don't have any setbacks or injuries. So it'd be a really long process just to even get back to like a, even like a sub four thirty. it'd probably take a full year, um, of just smart approach to training. Obviously I'd have to spend a little bit more time focusing on, yeah, injury prevention, strength, um, recovery. Yeah, I mean, just as someone who, like, watches you train, I would assume just with, you know, seeing the PT and, like, making sure you stay healthy, ice bath, like, all of, like, the little things, which I know sound really dumb, but we're saying, you know, if you really wanted to reach your potential, what would it take, right? So you'd probably have to get, like, weekly massages. Like, I mean, you'd probably have to go see a PT two, three times a month, um, maybe even more if you wanted to be on the safe side. So, I mean, those things really do add up. So, I mean, you're talking, you know, two hours a week just on 
physical therapy and massage. Um, you'd probably have to be doing a lot more strength training, not, not just like going in and lifting heavy weights, but you know, it'd almost be like 30, 40 minutes a day of stretching, doing, you know, activation exercises, those sort of things. And then, you know, obviously doing your aerobic, um, endurance work. So, I mean, really it would, it would be a very big time commitment. I would say probably upwards of 10 plus hours a week. Um, probably more if you wanted to get to that point again. And I think when we're talking about 10 hours a week dedicating to, you know, your training, there does become like a point where it's like, is it worth it? Right. So 10 hours a week, that's two hours a day. I mean, that's a lot of time. That's a big, it's like a part-time job. Um, and I think sometimes people, it's like, it's just not like the trade-off value for Mm -hmm. them. It's not worth a two hour a week. Cause you think about all the other things you do for two hours a week, right? Like you get a part-time job, you can start a business, you can do all these other things. Um, and so sometimes people are like, is it worth it to me to do this for one year to get to a, what you said a 429? Um, so yeah, I guess that's something to think about if people are, you know, wondering if they've reached their potential. It's like, well, if you have the time to put in, you know, that much time to reach that next level, go for it, right? So do you think it's easier to reach your potentials in your early 20s with less life responsibility, or do you think it can be done later in life? Um, I think a lot of factors go into that. It'll depend on like how much you were running you know, prior to your 20s. If you were someone that just kind of started running, no, you probably have a better chance at reaching your potential in your late 20s, early 30s. Um, someone like me, I think, um, yeah, I would say capitalizing on all of the training coming out of college, that was really the prime time because you're super fit and, and just kind of, um, trying to extend that fitness into the various distances training for a few years. And then knowing like everything that has happened since college, right? Like grad school and, um, several job changes, marriage, kids, all of that, all of those have become other, you know, priorities that I sometimes put ahead of running just because I know like the, the level of um, time commitment and the mental energy that it takes to really stay invested in that. And I just didn't, I just didn't want to um, continue living my entire life like that. I did that for probably four, eight years. So I felt like that was enough time for me. Yeah. I definitely think there's that like law of diminishing returns, right? So someone like you, it's like, yeah, you you probably do have to put in a lot, a lot more work than say someone who maybe starts running in their twenties, thirties, forties. My parents didn't start running until they were in their fifties and they're still seeing improvements across the board at almost 60 years old. So really, I think it just depends on like when you started and kind of like what your potential was and how close you really got to that. So I I think, you know, anyone can recognize, you know, getting down to 414 miles, it's it's pretty, it's getting pretty close to potential, right? Like it's getting close to that four hour, four minute mark which is uh, pretty much what, you know, most people's potential physiologically is, right? If, if you want to just say that you're in the top tier of people. So I think when you get that close, it's like, yeah, you're, you're going to have to put in a lot more work to see those results, right? Just kind of like when we talked about the elites, they have to put in so much work to see the results. Um, whereas, you know, if you haven't been running your whole life, it's that, that uh, law of diminishing returns, you can see a ton of improvement um, from just doing a little bit extra and that that can really go on for you know a decade or so so I definitely think it can be done regardless of of when you start but obviously being realistic um, you know if you are not 30 years old or in your 20s or 30s anymore and you're trying to run a mile PR but you already really came close to what a physiological real peak is so 
you know, a woman running, I don't know, like already sub five or a man running very low four, um, that would be, you know, you probably are past that at that point. But I think you can definitely improve in like the marathon and stuff well into your 40s, um, even 50s. And then obviously if you if you hadn't ran at all um, until you were a master's runner, you have tons of room for improvement. Um, so another question that I think is important. So, you know, people who are kind of in their like childbearing years, you know, like twenties, thirties, um, they're in the middle of having kids. It's just a crazy season, right? Like you have little kids. Um, sometimes it just gets put on the back burner. Like you're training the whole, um, doing any sort of exercise. And sometimes you wonder like, is it even worth it? Right? Like, so does your aerobic base stay with you where you could like revisit it in your forties or like, what would be the bare minimum that someone should do to kind of maintain a fitness so that maybe when their kids are a little older or life kind of settles down, um, they can like re-enter into the sport and really hit their potential in like the half or the full marathon when they're closer to, you know, their late thirties or early forties. Yeah, I definitely think, um, you know, I've seen a lot of people take time off. Sometimes they, they take maybe, I don't know, three to four years off from, from competitive running. And even from running in general, they may spend like a full six months or a year of like not running a step and then they start running again and they just kind of do consistent, um, you know, building that foundation back, but for another year or two until they get ready to be fit enough to want to race. And so I think, you know, the, the key thing over time is just to, you know, rather than take a bunch of time off, I, I think it's possible to come back, obviously, no matter what level you're at. But if you can, if you can still sustain just running a couple days, like here and there, maybe it's just three days a week, like three to five miles. I think that's going to be enough to keep you from losing a ton of fitness. It's going to be much easier, I think, to start up again. Um, you're going to be able to start back with, you know, increasing more runs. Because if you have sustained three or four days a week of running, you, when you start up to get serious again, you're going to be able to jump into five days right away. Um, and then you're going to be doing workouts probably two or three weeks later. Whereas if you start from nothing, you're going to have to start with like running three days a week. You're going to have to make sure your body's responding to, um, you know, just that impact that, that the muscles and the joints are now getting that they haven't gotten in several years or whatever. And so then you have to be careful when you add the distance, you, you build the mileage and then you're going to probably not start workouts for at least a month or month and a half. So I think, um, yeah, it'll depend on your, you know, your background previous to taking the time off, like how active you were or what level of runner you were at. But, um, if you can consistently just run, you know, even a few days a week, I think that's going to help a lot. Yeah. I always think, you know, consistency is key. Something is better than nothing. Um, just really reiterating exactly what you said. Um, and I definitely think people can peak in the longer distance, even a 5k, like into their, when they're 40. Um, it, but again, it just depends, you know, if you were a D1 runner and you were like really, really fast, uh, I don't know that you you'll be able to, you know, reach that peak again later in life. Um, unless you consistently are consistently are training at that level. But I think for most people, like maybe myself or even yourself, um, could potentially, well, not you, but <laughs> a lot of people could reach a faster time in their 30s or 40s, even in the 5K. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I think it comes down to like physiologically, right? So I talked a little bit about how, you know, men physiologically get down to like right around that four minute mile range. Um, and just, I, I mean, who knows if there's any truth to that, but I think that's like a, an open for discussion question, right? Like, so if someone looked at me, like, it's really easy for some people to say, I will never, no matter what I do, be able to run faster than X time, right? And I think sometimes that makes sense when people say that, right? Like if you were to say, 
hey, no matter what I do, I'm probably never going to break four in the mile. And you're like, yeah, okay, that, that kind of makes sense. But I've heard people say, hey, no matter what I do, I will never be able to run, you know, seven minute pace in a 5k. And I'm like, well, I don't know if that's true, right? Like, and I think there becomes this point of like gray area, like what is the potential of a human who is able-bodied, right? Like what is your potential? Is it, um, you know, something that's genetic or whatever, you know, you have that whole debate. So how does one assess like what their potential is in the sport of running? I always think it's really interesting um, looking at some of my athletes like stride paces or, you know, just thinking about like how fast they can do like a 200 or 100 meter all out. Um, cause sometimes it, it'll be the same people that are like, yeah, I could never run seven minute pace for 5k. And then you see it like they can do strides in like the four or five minute pace range. And I'm like, well, now if you, yeah. if you, if you can do a stride at that yeah. pace, like, I don't know how much truth is there because you know, I'm someone who does strides in maybe the five minute pace range. And so like, unlike the five thirties and that's like my mile PR, right? So like, I just think of these people who are doing it in the fours or fives. I'm like, you could run a mile at that pace. Like if you, if you really trained, I really, I don't know. So what do you, what do you think when it comes to like looking at those stride paces or the 200 to 100 meter times and, and saying, you know, I think you do have more potential than you're giving yourself credit for, or do you think that's like overstretching? Yeah, I, I definitely think there's some indication to like their natural talent levels. If you look at, you know, their raw speed like that. And, um, it just kind of teaches us like, um, or tells us how, how efficient their body, you know, how efficient their form is when they're running at their max speed. Um, and then if you can start to just slowly build the systems, you know, in between the, that all out sprint, um, all the way up to the aerobic system, you know, if you can work on those systems in between the lactate threshold and the anaerobic and all that, you can start to develop, you know, your, your pace, you can progress your pace for all those distances in between, like at the mile or even like a 400 meter, for example. And, um, yeah, I mean, you see, we saw this all the time, like in college, um, people who, you know, even for me, I would, I would run the same mile time as people on the track, but they're like way faster than me in cross country on uh, 8k or their 5k PR, um, was like 20 to 30 seconds faster than me, but our mile times, my mile time might've even been faster than theirs. And so that's just a sign like, Hey, yeah, I maybe had just as much natural speed or faster natural speed than them, but I wasn't aerobically developed enough. I didn't have a strong enough engine to be able to sustain that pace for the duration that they were able to, um, for that 5k, um, probably mainly due to the, uh, training factors. You know, it's not so much genetics at that point. It was probably more training stimulus was a bit different. They ran maybe higher mileage or longer threshold type workouts. And so I think that's where, um, yeah, we have to look at the training tendencies to see, um, the different factors that are in play there. Right. Yeah. And I I just do find this topic to be super interesting just because like you said, I think a lot of people will give that excuse for themselves. Like, Oh, I I can never run that fast. I'm not as fast as you, blah, blah, blah. Um, but if, I mean, if we take like two untrained individuals and we like put them in a vacuum, right? Like, uh, and they both like have the same baseline fitness going in, whatever. And we give them the same training, do you think that like most people kind of end up at the same spot or do you think like one person would be like a 15 minute 5k and like one person would just be like 20 minute 5k because one that's just like how do you think that that's how varied your genetics can be or do you think that really anyone can get to a certain point and like 
what are those points for men and women, you know, in their 20s and 30s? Yeah, so when you, when you say the same training, I'm assuming you mean like the same um, volume and, um, you know, duration, not so much the same intensity because we're, you know, if we're taking athletes and you're each going to do eight by 400, um, you know, one athlete might be able to do them in 70 seconds. The other athlete might be 80 seconds. Um, obviously, that athlete that's faster is going to run, you know, significantly faster in whatever distance, but I think it's going to come down to, yeah, the previous um, background in the sport. Um, I think it's possible to have two athletes that train together and can run pretty much the same splits, uh, but one athlete is consistently running faster in races. I think that that just comes down to um, more of like the mental execution and stuff. But um, as far as, yeah, those physiological differences, I think it'll depend really on um, the level that those athletes are at, how long they've been running, how experienced they are with their racing, um, their mental training as well. I mean, yeah, it, it, you could follow the same, they could each run 40 miles a week and do the same workouts, same threshold runs, same speed endurance workouts, but the 5K times could look drastically different just depending on the background and the experiences of each athlete. Right, but I'm saying, like, let's just say you train for 10 years consistently. Like, where do you think most people would and should end up if they were training to reach their full potential? Do you think there is, like, kind of a cap there for most people? Or or do you think most people just, like, never reach kind of where physiologically they could? Like, do you think any female could get to, like, a 24-minute 5K? Or do you think that's, like, overstretching you think some people just can't run faster than you know eight minute pace or like what do you think that that like limit is for most people in general yeah that's a good question um i i think the majority you know if you train that long and you're consistent meaning you don't have like a bunch of injury flare-ups and stuff i think it's definitely possible to get down to that level um but again, you know, looking at how fast can you run a stride? Do you even have the, you know, the muscle twitch fibers, the fast twitch to be able to run a certain speed for even in the shortest durations? That'll give us a lot of insight as to what your potential would be for a 5K. Um, so yeah, 24 minutes sounds that, or about even a pace for women, that sounds pretty good for someone who's been running, um, you know, many, many years. I know your mom is someone I think that's around that time now after running for 10 years. Um for guys, I don't know, that that could look way different. It really just depends on, like, what the training entails. Like, are they constantly pushing themselves or are they just kind of, like, going out and doing running? Are they running or are they doing the workouts and are they doing other races? Because if you're developing your physical side, your mental side, all of these things, then I think it's definitely capable for most men to get down to, you know, like around a 19-minute or 20-minute 20 20 range, I'd say. Yeah, I do find this interesting because I know, you know, like the military has like that the two-mile test for mm-hmm. for men. I don't know what it is for women, maybe one and a half miles. But I do think the time for men that to get like 100% is like close to 13 minutes. Um, I'd have to look it up. But, yeah, you know, that is that like a standard? Like I want to know how they kind of came up with that or, you know, is that just kind of like they just took averages or they I figured think, it out? I think so. Um, cause that, I mean, that's pretty quick, right? So if they're saying that most guys, if you, if you're reaching your potential that you can run two miles in 630 pace. And I think that sounds, I mean, about right. If, if you're, I think most people could get there, but I mean, to, to get there, you have to ask 
what are the sacrifices, am I willing to make it, um, those sort of things. Because I think if you, if you were to go out on a track and you were to have people do, you know, 100-meter strides and you were to clock them in and see what pace most people could run, even who have no running experience, I think what you would find is that most men are clocking them in in the five to four minute range, even with no training, right. and women so are probably able to do in the sixes um, to sevens. And I mean, obviously, there's a range. Like some people probably can't at all, right? Like, um, but I think you'd find that the average guy could do it in in the sixes, and the average woman in the sevens, even with no training whatsoever. So I think that is indicative of what they could run, you know, for right. a mile or or two or three. Um, if if training was appropriate yeah most people in the military you know they're not training for year after year for that event it may just be like a few months or a year or a year and a half and so you know if they say 195th percentile whatever is that 13 minutes running 630 pace imagine what you know if you're an average guy and you start running if you're going to invest you know eight to ten years of training i mean you should be you should definitely have the potential to run even faster than that i would think yeah, definitely. And I, I do think a lot of it boils down to, you know, there is some genetic factor to that. Like, obviously, some of those people, they go out, do strides, they can't do it faster than eight or nine minute pace, then maybe you might have to kind of adjust for that. But um, if you're someone who has those faster strides, you probably have more potential than you're giving yourself credit for. And I think taking ownership over that goal and over your potential and saying, you know what, maybe I don't want it that bad. Um, and saying that instead of, oh, like I peaked or like I'm not able to get that fast. Um, it's, it's easier for someone to blame genetics or to blame um, just natural ability when in reality, sometimes it's just you don't want to put in the work and, and that's okay too. And it's okay to admit that, right? Like it's, it's hard to, to want to train, you know, five, 10 hours a week, um, week over week, year over year to get to that level. Um, but taking the ownership is huge. So if you want to kind of check out our training and get a free seven day plan to reach your potential, see what kind of workouts we would get in for you uh, with paces specific to your current ability levels and kind of help you reach that next level, we would love to have you on for a free seven day trial. You can fill out the form at www.runforprs.co and we can get you set up right away. Thanks for tuning in.